Testing, testing. I don't have an ego. That's the main thing. <laughs> Can you do a test? Test, test. The main thing is I don't have an ego. Okay, good. Testing my ego. <laughs> Actually, we're checking the egos at the door. Checking the ego. <laughs> Leave your ego at the door. <laughs> Maybe we can use do that. that. Welcome back. Welcome back. Okay, so I think if we make something that's uh, coherent today, this will be... Well, I just, you know, we waffle. We'll, we'll try. We'll give we'll it a try. go. We'll give it a red hot go. This will be the first episode, I think, for like a good three or four months or something. So I want to give context because it was a very ambiguous last episode that I that I was a very um bit of a hack job, bit of like a one hour turnaround. Is this the I just talked about? Yeah, I just talked about veering off course and stuff. So I thought maybe Luke should give some context to the veering. Bit Mm. of um. Yeah, and I don't know how easy it is to explain. That day, that literally that day, after I finished that, you had a lunch or something, and then I called you. And we had like a four-hour phone call. Yeah. Do you, remember, do you remember that? I remember. I think I was walking down. You were walking, yeah. And I was walking around um, Piermont and stuff. And uh, so I don't know. I don't think we'll make a four-hour episode. No. <laughs> we'll just see. Okay, and we'll have a few laughs. Um, is, is, is the same thing to do. And yeah, just explore. Um, so what what I was, where I was thinking of starting is... The, the context is I really, at that time, I, th- I don't know what brought it about. It's because it started writing more a bit when we were talking about this. And I was, um, I had to shut down most of the things we were doing because I was doing this, that working on the book and uh, like the, 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 the comedy, like the one about the workplace and um, a bit like the office, whatever. And had had all these moving parts and things going on. and. They were, it was just like so much, right? It was like the overwhelm, like the burnout and all those sort of things, all the cliches. And I had to slowly like pause them one by one so I actually could get this um this book done. <laughs> it's taking forever because I was, you know, it's hard to like write. Um, you know, writing takes like a lot of deep concentration. And when you're like constantly switching between things, it really, really stagnates it. So I wanted to like get that done and I'd slowed down everything. Liam, who I was been working with for constant student, had like gone and started doing other things, um, which were all still cool. We're all still mates. We see him yeah. every odd Thursday and all that on Zoom. So there's no dramas, but it, it, gave, it gave a bit more flexibility, a bit more freedom. And then I had uh, kind of paused everything and I was just mainly just writing again and doing the podcast. So life was like way simpler. And then... I started to think as I was just like, I'm just getting the book done and see what comes next. Had a couple of uh, ideas and whatever. And I just thought, I just can't be bothered right now. I just want to do the book, focus on one thing, do that well, build, build again after. Uh, it just made life so simple. <laughs> and and I, I was sitting there in cafes or whatever, writing and not having to worry about anything else and not having to do a to-do list for the day and not having to uh, plan oh, yeah, much. We, had, we and, had a good notion. Yeah, the notion setups and all that. Um, nothing really hanging over my head. No, like, uh, you know, no, no, like calculating bank balance and runway and blah, blah, blah and all this sort of stuff. And I just had that, this little thought creep in, which was like, oh, 
It's a shame it can't always be like this. <laughs> it's a shame it can't always be like this. That was the uh, that was like the catalyst. I just I just find it so funny how I I was very alarmed when we had that phone call. I was very alarmed at how I had been thinking and the endless like pit of bullshit I had been. Um, I think selling myself on and peddling through for like. Can you give me an example? Quite a while. Or well, do you want- when when I like twenty twenty. This little chapter was this like a pivot for me was uh, 2020. There was COVID. I had been going hard at real estate, as you know, which again was a funny fit for me to be working on real estate. Like they didn't really, it was a lot of like, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was an opportunity. It fell on my lap. It was a lot of family background in property, right? It seemed to make sense on paper as these things often do. COVID was a bit of a wake up call, like, uh, you know, I have things that are way more interesting and meaningful to me than selling people the property dream. <laughs> so uh, I picked that up. <laughs> big on that. Big on property on this podcast. So that's when I started like, uh, it was like, uh, you know, education and all this other stuff would be way more interesting and the writing and the podcasting and all that started. But at the start, it was just so simple. I was mainly like writing. Like I, I just paired back real estate. I was writing all the time. And that's where so much, I think I learned that I think so much through writing and that writing is like oxygen, like writing, you talk about it. You don't do it as often as I do, but you talk about how it really helps your thoughts. Like it really helps shape your structure and clarify, give people clarity over their thinking. That's why journaling so good and shareable writing is like an extension of that beautiful thing. And it was just so painfully simple. I had shit all money. But coming in, I had shit all money coming in, but it was so peaceful. Mm -hmm. But then I, the story I would uh, tell myself back then was that that's not enough. Uh, that it's not enough to help people writing. Um, you know, people can read till they're blue in the face. People can read all day, but it's like people need more active. There needs to be more active uh, intervention and support and stuff to make the world better. That was, that was the story I told, I was telling myself, right? So it came a point where we started, you know, we did, uh, what happened that year? Started writing the blog, just whatever came to me, I'd publish it. There was no real plan method behind it, right? Started the podcast as an extension of that. Uh, and then we're doing the book 18 and Lost, right? Which was, which was fun. And then started Constant Student. Um, right like, off. <clears throat> Yeah, right off the right back. Right off the back of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, like, yeah. Started concert student while we're finishing off the book. And then kind of both, yeah, 2021, the book finally launched, you know, but we'd been doing concert student for that whole year, basically. And, you know, that was an, was an amazing experience. Um, you know, you got involved, you know, like Dom, yep. very supportive, got involved, a whole bunch of people. Um, great way to connect people. Uh, but it was just an awkward thing. And I remember at the start of it, I was thinking, damn, like this would be great, but my life can only get uh, worse in a way. <laughs> and uh, worse in terms of like the day-to-day -day enjoyment because it was just so peaceful. I was like, oh, well, I don't have money as well. 
What and do I, you... don't, I don't think I'm doing like there's more I could be doing and sharing with people, so community and and all that or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ask. What's I was going to say in terms of peace, people have very different notions of peace. What is it kind of? It's hard to describe, obviously, but yeah. What is that sort of peace? Is that moment where you just totally internally calm, and uh, you just feel the moment is more than enough when you feel at peace, right? Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, like probably the most relatable feelings, like going for a walk or maybe for a lot of people going for a run, mm-hmm. <laughs> like size light up or, or a cycle or, you know, or maybe like a lunch or a dinner with people. Um, but feeling where you just the rest of the world and all the things that are like, uh, you're meant to be worrying about, they're still there. They still exist, right? The, the cost of living is the same, you know, the your rent or the unaffordability of your living or whatever those lifestyle situation factors don't change but for whatever reason because of the experience you're having and how you feel inside it just doesn't matter just doesn't matter that's my attempt to describe what it's been like when i feel like peaceful internally and uh i just um See, I really wrestle with this, like the, the changing the world thing. That was the real big Cause it's a story. Although I feel peace, but then if yeah, I, what about I can other... sacrifice that yeah. and then, you know, have a bigger impact. Yeah. Cause other people don't have what I have. <laughs> so I need to How help, do you know that, Joe? help them get that. <laughs> yeah. Well. I also think it is true because you can tell often by talking to people and you hear people complain and people are looking for solutions and, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's always a lot of people always facing, well, it's part of being human, people always facing challenges. And, uh, yeah, if I, if I look back and I'm being honest, so there was definitely a, um, there's definitely felt like there was a lot to be shared. Okay. That's one thing. And, you know, the, the, the thoughts were around like education, right? Like how do you make education better and what's a, what's like a place of starting? That's why I guess the constant student thing came from. And I guess if I'm being honest, part of the idea was to like help people what meet really other, other people who are a bit more maybe intentional about the way they live. They thought a bit more about things. They weren't just... Uh, they weren't just living life out based on their kind of cultural, social conditioning. They were maybe transcending that a bit and, and finding where they really fit and normally wanting to do good things for other people too. You know, that was like a big theme, big, big consistent themes. I guess the idea was that we could create a community, like one sense, like a network where those people often feel very isolated and alone. First, it's nice to feel you're not the only one like that, that there's not something wrong with you if you are not just doing what everyone around you is doing. Cause often that's, that's the way it's like Harry Potter growing up with the muggles. Like I'm a weirdo cause I can do this and that, but I don't fit in. So I hide that, you know, but really it's magic. Mm. Um, and this part I, I, I think is still true. So there's the idea that then you can, you know, build the Hogwarts <laughs> and bring the people who do magic together, who want to do magic and you can help, help one another do that. So if someone wants to be an entrepreneur and they have an idea, but they don't know where to start, it's great to have a whole bunch of people to talk to about that who have similar experience, right? Yep. If someone wants to be a writer and that's, how do I go about that? And 
you have a network of people who someone's done books and whatever you can introduce, you can use it. So that's one part of the community. The other part was putting on, you know, workshop workshops that got to the deeper root of things, right? Like things like the minimum viable lifestyle, you know, things like talking about wealth, you know, we used to do the wealth workshop and the kind of the real point of the actual workshop was not stocks versus property. It was more like, what is this bloody thing we call wealth, you know? And everyone's like, oh yeah, wow. And uh, <laughs> what sort of wealth is the real wealth? You know, is it actually the financial part or is it more of the, pe the people part? Like, you know, it was an opportunity to kind of uh, look at some of those things that we get attached to. We're pursuing things in the world, but look at them from first principles. Like, because that dictates what you're doing, say career-wise. <laughs> if you have an idea about wealth in your head, like that's going to be set me up for life, having a whole bunch of assets or whatever. You structure your career and your work based on that goal, right? Like, yep. well, I'm not going to do just whatever I want. I have to do what's going to make money, mm. right? Gotta so that, that understanding those things deeply... I think is really important because most of it's bullshit <laughs> and it's, there's a simple, like there's a simpler reality at the bottom of it. So if you accept that stuff, you start to just do what flows to you rather than what seems smart. What seems smart normally is a road to like a bit of a, there's often a difficult path. Actually, you're making a lot of trade-offs with yourself. Yep. The pause for the coffee machine. Oh, I don't know if they can hear it. No, you can. It's pretty quiet. I, I do the editing. You can hear it. Yeah, but it's easy just to cut it out. It's easy. Coffee, I can, coffee, I can, coffee, coffee, I can get coffee, around coffee. background noise. Coffee, 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 coffee. <laughs> just for um, cool. Descript. Just for Descript. Love yeah. you, Descript. Mm. Um, anyway, so that was one. That was one part of it, right? Constant student. But now the part, we start talking about ego a bit. Oh, <laughs> do you still have one? I don't I really still have one. No, Luke doesn't have one. No, but mine's I still do. gone. <laughs> I took it out. <laughs> had it removed? Yeah, had it removed. <laughs> Surgery. Yeah. Is that but a five-star hotel? You could make well? a lot of money doing that. Um, the ego thing, which was not the story I actively told myself. Actually, no, it was part of, it was lumped in. One of the, this is the not so, this is the shadow side, as Carl Jung would say. I think it was Carl Jung, the shadow, is the power story behind it all, right? Mm. Which is, we're going to create a whole bunch of like the next big entrepreneurs, people changing the world. I don't know, like thought leaders, like the sort of people who do Ted talks and shit like that. doesn't have to be everyone in the community, but like we're going to unlock a lot of these incredible entrepreneurial stories and people, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it, which seemed quite natural. You're going to facilitate that. Sure. And sure. that's good because that's going to be what they ultimately want, but might be too scared to do. Sure. Right. You're going to help them get over the line. Yep. And uh, part of that is we're going to like, we're going to benefit and we're going to build a whole new ecosystem, right? We're going to, I'm going to be able to invest in these people's companies, right? Cause they're going to go, then they'll need money. To, if they have an idea, if they do a startup or something, they'll need money and who will be in prime position, you know, the people in the constant student, Joe and his cronies, right? And, and Luke jumping in on the, I on didn't, the, on you the didn't scheme. let me in on that idea yet, but <laughs> no. I probably would have signed no. up earlier. And uh, a lot of people. Well, think there's nothing wrong with that. And it depends on how you look at it. But there was like this will be shepherding in the sure. The the a it big generation sense. of blah blah. And then they'll go and do and the more people like that you have, the more this spreads. This you can do whatever you want. You can achieve, you know, great things on good terms and not trade away your happiness and peace of mind on those journeys, right? So this is part of this narrative that we're gonna create this whole new 
infrastructure, you know, make it easier for people to get into what they want to get into. And right. So it all sounds so good. And one of the real tricky things with ego is being happy to help someone and see something good happen to them, but not being able to like get rid of the thought in your head that it's good for them because it's also good for me. Mm. I'm happy to help them because it's also really good for me. There might not be anything material you get back in return, but you, um, even sometimes the feeling, this is what I learned in the charity world, right? The people you're like building schools for or whatever, they're not paying you, but the feeling you get often is such a big incentive, right? Like I want to feel like I'm changing the poorest of the poor lives. And on the surface, there doesn't sound like there's anything wrong with that. Mm. Underneath the iceberg, there's normally a lot wrong with that. That was what I, that was the experience in Nepal five, six years ago with, with Nick and the others. Um, so the constant student thing was like this too. The, the example I'd give is like, uh, for anyone who's Harry Potter familiar, <laughs> there's like, uh, and you're not up to this yet. I know you're reading the books, but there's like part, which is like Dumbledore's army. When they notice the, 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 the school is failing around them, the education system's failing them in the fifth book. And so they, lead their own little, like very practical education, like non-theory, like this is how we actually defend ourselves against the dark stuff. Right. Then in the sixth, sixth book, and this is not too big a spoiler. There's another thing where this old teacher comes back to the school and he, he calls it the slug club. He really collects students who he thinks are really promising and he makes like a little club for them. So it's all the special people. And then he trades in, he collects people and he really trades in you know, like, uh, this person became a huge athlete. He uses them to get Quidditch tickets. This one's, uh, you know, in the ministry, he, he, he messages them when he has thoughts on how the, you know, he, he's collecting people like their, like, uh, your mate Dan Lott collects Marvel figures, you know, ah, they're trophies. People are trophies. Now, when I look back, what I, what I realized is I was, uh, I was leading both those things in the constant student, there was like the genuine, there was a genuine practical part of like very simple, like, I don't know, helping people get to where they wanted to go, but there's also this other part of collecting people and, and shaping them for the glory. So where that would manifest itself sometimes is if someone had an idea, for example, this was a book idea or a business idea, um, which was not everyone, but if someone had one, it was very tempting for especially me, but maybe other leaders in that community to, to then kind of push people a bit and like, come on. And, and you're not following the steps. This is how you do what you say you want to do. And, uh, and you'd get frustrated if they weren't following through, for example. And, uh, if they were going away from it, they dropped it. There was a bit of like disappointment, right? And maybe it wasn't even said to them, but at the very least in my mind, it was there. Often when people resisted the idea of joining the community, I'd be like in my head, something had been triggered hmm. and I was like pushing, I was pushing people. And these are all things that everyone says supernatural, not supernatural as in like Superman, but very natural, very normal, nothing wrong with it. And fair enough. That's a majority opinion. We, we, I think we make a mistake. If something's a majority opinion, so it's like, it must be okay. Mm. But there's this quote where there's nothing, there's nothing right with trying to like fit into a society that's profoundly sick or something like that. Like if, 
everyone's doing something wrong, that doesn't make it, it's possible for everyone to be doing something like largely the wrong way, let's say. Anyway, so this is where the push and, you know, I thought, well, we have to make money doing constant students, so we need to sell something. And I kept noticing this asymmetry between um, what people needed and what really helped them, which was often painfully simple as a conversation. Mm. And our need to, you know, I don't know, make, make a living, pay, pay ourselves, make an income. Again, natural. No one blames anyone for wanting to make a living or, or monetizing something that's valuable for people. But as we were talking about before we started recording, with the constant student-like thing and things like that, a lot of the value is intangible. It's very hard to, people even listening to this might not even understand what it is. When you attract to something like this, it hits you on a feeling level, not on an intellectual level, really. You get a vibe that there's something here for you and then you kind of reach out. It's not a, like a, it's not a calculated thing, right? And uh, so it was very difficult trying to communicate the value to people, getting them in, getting them paid because they had to try it, try it first. So I spent all this time, like this idea, that idea, this course, that course. And like, I never learned through courses. I never did a single bloody course. Cause I just thought it was really an ineffective way to learn. Uh, uni was the last course I ever <laughs> really wanted to do. And, um, you know, the, the problem for me with courses and stuff, online courses and stuff, not, not applicable to everything, but in most cases, why would you do the course if you're not yet actually just doing the thing? Right? Yeah. Like, why would I do a podcasting course if I haven't even recorded an episode yet? Because it's very simple to get started. Why would I do a writing course if I'm not even writing regularly there's a lot of this i think it's bs there's a lot of this like i need help getting started like i don't have the confidence or whatever a lot of the time it's actually people think they should be doing something but they don't have the actual internal desire the internal motivation to do it and so the gap between this is what i think i should be doing i should be doing something smart for my career like writing on twitter or something like that but i don't really want to do it what i need is a group of people who want to do that and an instructor to tell me how to do it and makes sense, right? Yeah. It sounds so smart and logical, right? It's a good good justification. It's a great justification. And this is where we have, we used to like, you know, I guess 10 years ago is like the online courses buy it going and and hardly people hardly ever finish them. Now we have like the cohort based. It's like you're in a group and whatever. And the good part of that is you do tend to meet people, but you know, we were, I never did those. I, like I would never do a writing course. I've talked to you on the podcast before. My writing course was called 18 and Lost So Are We. It was a book. Mm. Right? I was just like, well, just do a book. It doesn't have to sell 10 million copies. I'll learn by doing a book. Like, I don't know why I would do a course on books. And a lot of people loved programs and things we did, like a writing thing or whatever. But also, they didn't necessarily want to write after. <laughs> they kept on doing something else. There's such a big gap between what we think we should do and what we actually want to do deep down. And it's normally buried so far freaking down. And the problem is when you're looking to, oh, we want all these writers or we want all these entrepreneurs, you get focused on trying to sell that and take the people who have the desire to do it and, uh, you know, just getting them over the line. And then you bribe them. It's this elaborate bribery system. You have webinars. You have, you give them a bit of value first, you know, you help them without expecting anything in return. 
you jump on a call. You know, there's all this generosity and all this conventional wisdom, right? And the non, you know, not attached and uh, giving value up front and all these things you're taught to do in the content and cause creator world and all that. But really, like once I looked back at it, it's still all coming from a bullshit place of what I need. Because the, the valuable thing with the community, I think, was um, there were many things. What, like, how helpful people were to one another was beautiful. You know, someone has this idea and someone in Australia says, I'll do this because you can't in your country. Uh, I don't know, like um, PayPal doesn't work in their country in Zimbabwe and I'll help you here. So the generosity people have once they form a community is beautiful. And there was a lot of that. So that's positive. We did, Liam and I used to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one calls with people. Um, sorry, Luke, if you didn't really get get any, but it was just like a, a check-in, like what's going on with you? I'm still waiting for mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mate. <you're... laughs> no, no, no. It doesn't count. It has to be on Zoom. doesn't count. We would, um, you know, we would check in on people and um, you just, you like maybe there was something I had to like keep in mind, like, oh, if they're interested in like this thing we're building, like a course or something, like, keep that in mind if it comes up, that's something they could help them. But a lot of the time, we just had, we like in those calls, it were one on one. You just abandon whatever was meant to be the agenda, or what I had to like try and get feedback on, or whatever. And you just couldn't help but look at the person, like what's going on for them. Not liking their school, or they've moved to a new country, or you know, traveling the world, trying to figure out trying to figure out how to make it all work. And everyone was different. We had these, what was common, I guess, in the, amongst the community was that everyone was different, but on the deep level, they were very similar, like very curious, very open-minded, very compassionate, cared about the world, wanted to make themselves a better person, liked learning for its own sake, wasn't just in a, in a rush to be, um, you know, a success at all costs, you know, in like a career sense, like cared about what they were doing, weren't just willing to do anything and they had values, you know, but, but on the lay on the, on the surface layer, this person's an artist, this person works in, I don't know, telco, this person works here, this person's doing a tech startup, this person's at uni studying, uh, you know, exercise physiology and loving it, <laughs> you know? So it wasn't this uni alternative because there's a lot of people at uni and that actually made a lot of sense for them to be at uni. So that was fine. They weren't all like trying to become writers they weren't all trying to become podcasters you know they weren't all trying to like be the next steve jobs they weren't all trying to become what it was just everyone was different yet i couldn't get past the fact that everyone was actually they were the right people like they were the right people so you're trying to like make this thing work like i was like which section of these people do we do we choose like no section actually makes sense and it was just like i eventually came to the realization that everyone is just fucking different <laughs> and that's the reality of it there is no there is no solution there is no one way of guiding people to do x or y it's everyone does what they want to do when they're ready to do it and the more that it comes from them rather than someone creating a, a freaking course or an event or whatever that gets them to do it, the better. No one ever created a situation, apart from high school, sorry, 
to just introduce me to writing. And we talk about you and podcasting in a sec as a good example. Um, no one ever like had to create a, a course or a, an event or something to get me to start writing. When the time came, I just started fucking writing. But this is not satisfactory for a lot of people who want to be something that society says is good. And the problem is we burst one layer of it, which is for a lot of people, for a lot of the conscious student people, it's, it's like the corporate, like, oh, I've, I've broken out of like, I don't want to work nine to five. I don't want to work like a desk job and blah, blah, blah. And that seems like the only like thing that's like, um, society says, right. But what they do is they end up in all these other little pockets that have the same thing. They're just more elaborate. A lot of the thing with the job, just maybe a little side note is. Yeah. That as an idea is a little bit confusing because when you get away from it, you're doing the same day to day. Yeah. It, like as in, you're still doing something from nine to five. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So. And the, your experience with you has been very like fascinating to me because mm -hmm. you, you, you remain very grateful for like, I think the podcasting prompt, right? I don't know if you want to just tell that story because this is an example of how I think highly, highly organic journey of someone realizing things for themselves really we started like we encouraged i think we had like a little thing where we encouraged people to like find a project that's meaningful you to work on and you and dom yeah had already been i don't know tell it from your i'm just recollection trying to think of the you started recording point. running chats yeah so dom and i obviously started on our running journey. And then we got to a point where I can't remember specifically what prompted it, but we decided to sort of catch up weekly just yep. to see how training was going. Yep. So we started recording zoom, just zoom meetings, talking yep. about running. Yep. And then it was good to just sit down and have a chat about it. Yep. Then we were joking around just saying, you know, this could be a podcast. Um, completely as a joke, as in no, <laughs> No concept that it would actually be a good idea. Yeah. Um, just joking around. Yeah. Continue doing it. And then I think, was this before or after we were doing this? This. No, before. Way before. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think. Pretty sure. Yeah. It's hard to. Timelines. Yeah. It's hard to remember sometimes. But, yeah. Um, then I was talking to you and, you and Scott once. Yeah. And then you came, you, you mentioned sometimes just my temperament, which is another mm. funny word, but yeah. you know, I, I naturally would sometimes ask good questions and be mm. curious, which yeah. you pointed that out and said yeah. that would potentially make you a good podcaster if you yeah. ever wanted to do it. Yeah. And I think that was a spark yeah. that was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Like that would be fun. I enjoy having conversations, talking to people. And also there was a big element where it was like, you know, this will help me progress and grow yeah. and be a better communicator and all these sorts yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of just mentioned you could very easily do a podcast with Dom, yeah. just give it a go, yeah. you know, and then all the, all the objections come up like, you know, quote unquote, you're going to fail. Um, all the uh, ego, which I've removed now, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah, his ego removed. You're talking to two men without egos. Um, but then we just obviously just start easy, start start slow, just record and work it out from there. And I think 
we started the podcast. You had already. When was the podcast? Uh, about podcast? like, oh yeah, October, November last year. Yeah. About a year ago. I also started asking you to help with this. Yes. And we had a podcasting little group in Constant Student. Sure. Around that time. And James actually said, oh, should, should we invite the, the, Chief. the Chiefs boys in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Like if they yeah. get it up and running, might as well. Yeah. So then we d- decided to, I don't know, it was a bit of back and forth. Could be a good idea. Let's just give it a go. We recorded, no, Dom, I think released one of our, just our conversations that we had on the months side before, months yeah. before yeah. that went up. Um, yeah, it's funny, you know, I, there's no, been no structured yeah. emphasis put into it. If I yeah, can't yeah. remember how it starts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but exactly. anyway, um, yeah. Then one by one, we just started, said we'd do an episode every week. Um, we obviously learn a lot from the podcast chat. Yeah to get us up and running to, yeah. but we worked it out on the go. Like, yeah. okay, this week we need to, we need to cut it up and yeah. whatever, you, edit, whatever it is. We need to interview questions or how you reach out. The, yeah, it's so like, you can't even say it because it comes up in the, it comes up. Just in time. Just, yeah. yeah. Just as you're doing When it. that's your next roadblock, next door to open, you're like, how do I open this door? Yeah. And then if you, you either figure it out, or you ask for a bit of help. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. But I think. Obviously, Dom and I were, were recording the calls already, yep. and then you mentioned it kind of at the perfect time yep. when we were very receptive, and yep. it was a door that you were willing to open yep. or just mention. And that's all if I did. Not, that's all I did, right? You, you yeah. didn't. You didn't say, "Look, this is gonna these take are, you, these are the benefits. This is yeah. gonna <laughs> take you to the next level. You're gonna be a better communicator. You're yep. gonna do yeah, all this, yeah, yeah. which I'm now sort of trying to unwind from my yep. thinking. Yeah, as in just just do it because yeah. you enjoy it. That's yep. it. But anyway, yeah, you opened the door and then it allowed, you gave the sort of the space to think about it mm. and let it in the sales world, they would say, <laughs> you made, you made it my idea. So, you know, that's what you got to do. So if you want to sell something, that's, like this it. is what I, I don't know. This would be very hard for people to relate to my perspective, my what side of the question. No, you answered it, don't Okay. My my side of this conversation would be very hard, I think, for a lot of people to relate to who haven't tried to do a similar thing. It's very hard. I'm talking about a very specific but huge difference. In the sales world, and when even really good people, not just the hacky YouTube sales people, but real, I'm talking really nice, socially respected thought leaders, creators, blah, blah, all these people tell you how to sell stuff and like, like this. And it's like, you know, it's, it is the, like, it's got to feel like their idea, you know, the how to win friends and influence people, like make it their idea and all that. And, and I, I was, you know, leaning into that, but with you guys, I guess, cause you didn't trigger my ego as much. Cause you two are like in that sense, very different to like, not the, haven't you guys, you and Dom to me have never been like the kind of like hyper ambitious up in front of the crowd, no. blah, blah, blah. Right. Correct. Yeah. The younger people in constant student who were more like that definitely triggered me way, way more. Like yep. there was more need to like move them along, you know, get them into this, get them into this project we think will be good for the, for growing this ecosystem and blah, and like trying to trick them into things and have a call and just ask for feedback and just see if they like take the bite, you know, whereas for you, there was much less. This was me learn. This was me being given learning, mm. you know, through the gift of you guys. 
there was much less any of that. It's like, oh, I literally just thought, oh yeah, like you could do that as a podcast. Yeah. But we, there was no game I, in your situation to try and no. plant inception, you know, like there's no, 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 there's no, no game to try and conceive the idea in you. You pick up on it that. It was organic. Energy, but you pick up on the energy, right? So yeah. you can tell, I yeah. can tell when you genuinely are making a suggestion. Yeah. Because another thing you've got to, like, that I've realized is when someone's, like, shaping things, yeah. even subconsciously, yeah. you can yeah. tell yeah. there's an ulterior motive. Yeah, you can tell. And it's not, not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's more like there's an underlying, even if it doesn't come yeah. up. Yeah. It's like, well, is this the best thing for me? Because they yeah, want yeah, me yeah. to do it for some the metaphor. The metaphor I use is, like, if I was ever out in public and someone's like, you should talk to that girl. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, maybe. And then, but if they start pushing you. Yeah. Before you're ready, you start pushing in the other direction, right? Yeah. You're like, well, fuck, I'm not ready. Yeah. Oh my God. And what, what happens is if you think about it, you're physically moving in the opposite direction of the thing now, right? You're pushing in the other way. Yeah. So it's like, I'm no longer interested in this because I'm being pushed to do it. Yeah. It's like someone who loves sport, but their dad gets really attached to them in that sport. Then you're like, well, no, I, I fucking I hate like this sport, sport now. Yeah. So they've actually spoiled their interest in it. This is a big education idea. You're trying yeah. to force people to do math. You're trying to force people to do history. Trying... Well, I'm not interested because they're pushing me. Because mm. your body's like, well, I have to push in the other direction because I'm not ready yet. Mm. And they're trying to push me. And I'd made enough mistakes that I was just trying to surrender more. And for you guys, it just fell into place without really trying. Mm. And you got a lot of value out of, uh, you kept reporting that you were enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. And, um. You guys had listeners, you had actually more than most podcasts when they start, like informal, like DIY, you know, not podcasts, non-produced yeah. podcasts. Like, Which we got, ended up getting caught up in. Yeah. You end up getting caught in as I got caught up in my, you know, YouTube and after they did the Taleb series and I started getting all these YouTube subscribers and I got caught up in that. And, uh, and it's almost like a part of everyone needs to learn that lesson. Um, you are, you know, you kind of, it was just very organic and then doing this with you. Um, I think our frequent conversations has helped us both a lot in our, in our lives, but this is like the deeper, because this is the difference to your podcast. This is the deeper reflection constantly shapes, shapes your thinking and improves your thinking. And all this is, is really deep conversation. Mm. Yeah. That's all this is. And just observing you over the last like six months, uh, way longer, 12 months, the, the change um, seemingly for the better, but let's, let's see. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> um, is incredible. Cause it was the, the, one of the most least intended, you know, like the, that I've definitely felt that seduction to try and enlighten people. Mm. I can't pretend I was ever full, you know, I've never, not now fully enlightened. Right. But this is one of the stories like no one understands, Joe, you understand you gotta, you gotta be the fucking savior. And this was a big, this is what took me to Nepal, the savior narrative in the head, hmm. which comes from a lot of, when I think about myself, uh, growing up like at, um, primary school, high school, you look at the formula, my formula, right? It was, well, the boxes I grew up trying to tick. So there was a lot of, um, identified with achieving at school. So it was like achievements and I've, I've been white as Demello says, you know, we get people hooked on this drug of approval mm. and the high achievers are the most hooked Otherwise, in that sense, in an in achievement sense, right? Yeah. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. 
uh, or they'd be driven to do it by curiosity rather than, I feel like I've achieved something. Sure. Right. So I have this, I have to achieve things, right. But also very Catholic, very service, very resonated with that identity as someone who is helpful to people and compassionate and generous. So I'm trying to tick that box too. Um, and, uh, I guess there's like a creativity in the joy of doing, so you, you look at, you add those, where can you do all those three things and you start to get context around the decisions I made, right? It's, it's almost predictable. It's like a formula. And so uni wasn't satisfactory because I didn't feel that achievement, right? I was too scared to do film because I was so scared of doing it, but not achieving, which is the counterintuitive part. But I was, um looking for more. And that's where the Nepal thing of, oh, I can go help the poor people in Nepal is where the savior box is. Like, oh, you, that's an achievement. You can be the savior. You can be compassionate. Other people will love you for doing it. And this is like the subconscious part, the unhealthy part of what takes me to Nepal. And then I start to see that, that world's bullshit. And I can see that in myself. A but, lot of people, I'm sorry, to interrupt. Yeah. a lot of people would say, what's wrong with that? If it brought yeah. you to a good place, I'm going, going to play devil's yeah, advocate. Yeah, yeah. It brought you to a good place. You're helping people. Yeah. You know, that's the same thing. What's wrong with having heaps of money? Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, you can look after people, yeah. you can have an impact, all these sorts of things. So <laughs> it, it, well, it, it's, it's looks like it's helping people, but it's not. Okay. That's what's wrong with it. It looks really convincing. And this is where I start, the language I use to describe this whole rigmarole, whether it's charity, whether it's education, whether it's career, is the bubble. Mm. And a bubble, you understand like financial bubbles, most people understand GFC and stuff like that, or the tech bubble and things like that. A bubble is an abstraction away from reality. It's, an, it's not the real world, but it feels real. And it tends to like a cancer or a vi more like a virus, it tends to spread. So people see other people going, saving poor people, whatever, and they think, wow, that's great. And then they go follow along. If what you're actually achieving is not helping people, but what looks like helping people, that's what's getting exacerbated in the charity bubble. I think the world is a huge charity bubble right, right now, has for decades, maybe forever. Um, and what we tend to do, you can look at, you can take charity, what we do in charity and put it side by side with like colonialism. British people sailed to Australia, thought they were helping these Aboriginal people who didn't have buildings, didn't have healthcare, didn't have, right? Didn't know how to farm their land, right? We're here helping them. This is for their good. And if they, you know, then the tax and the fighting and the, the stolen generation, all that's like, well, it's like their parents aren't looking after them well, so we need to take them away from their parents. <laughs> yeah. In charity, that's what we do. We come in, look how shit this is. And we go international sense, right? We go, here's a school and all that. I haven't written the book yet about Nepal, but I've got, you know, the stories is just from our experience, right? I'm not generalizing beyond what I saw, but we saw so much corruption. We saw huge multi-million dollar facilities built that no one was using, sitting in the middle of fucking nowhere. Uh, they, they admitted to Nick that they didn't need him to build the first school he built, that the government had money, but they wait for Westerners to come in. So you feed this cycle of governments not doing their role because Westerners come in. Wow. So you break down the cycle of a healthy government feedback loop. I don't think governments are even that good as a, you know, they're not perfect, but this we have system for structuring society. So it looks great, 
but it's not. This is what's wrong with when you come from a place of ego, you don't see things as they are. You have a, a, a writer in your mind writing a script for how things are going to go. And you start interpreting everything into that script. And when an actor says they want to leave the show, you just figure out how to write a new actor in and make out nothing's changed. And you're just trying to get your story happening. That's what ego is doing. And the more sophisticated the ego, the more sophisticated the story. And I think people like me are the most dangerous people in the world, <laughs> which again sounds dramatic, but because, um, if you'll permit me to drop the cloak of humility for a bit, if you have a deeper um, understanding of things than, than everyone to the left of you on the spectrum, you're a better position to bullshit them. You can hide the story better. The people, I, Donald Trump would not be the most worrying person in modern society for me, right? It would be someone who everyone thinks is like doing good in the West. That's the most dangerous person. Because if you look back through history, no one thinks they're doing the wrong thing. Whether they killed people, whether they didn't kill people, no one thinks they're doing the wrong thing. They're doing, you know, they're for the greater good. The good. The good and the, the more someone, like an animal can't cause a famine, right? A lion will be brutal in how it attacks a antelope or something, right? And it's like, oh, Thank God we're not that horrific anymore. But a lion can't start like a famine in a whole country or it can't take a whole country to war. Mm. You know, the more elaborate the mind and the more ambitious the mind, the more potential bad that can actually happen. We can see right? it play out in politics and what's happening. World wars, yep. everything like that. World War One, World War Two. Um, and it all comes from this bubble. And we're all, we're all, we're all, I think we all participate in this fucking bubble. And, uh, what I, 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 you know, I wrote, how's this, you know, I wrote that piece on my site, Gillage, mm. right? Which is, um, an attempt with me and some other people, but I take responsibility to paint like a better, what would a better future in society look like? Right. And there's a lot great about that and a lot wrong with that. Cause I always used to joke, oh, lol, this, you know, Joe's cult. Yeah. As I have to make sure this doesn't become a cult. So that was a thought in my mind, but it's hard. You don't actually, I don't actually understand the depth of what cults really are and how they form. And a cult to me is like a bubble. It's a, you talk to people in a cult, like a religious cult and everything makes sense to them. Everything's totally justified. Just the same as you talk to a sleazy salesman or something. Um, Terrible not you, people. not you. Nah. But everything to them is just like, you're doing this for your family because your family needs to make a living. You want to give them the best education, the best quality of life, the best holidays. Uh, so you, you'll, you'll, you'll use all these tactics to try and manipulate people into buying just whatever you happen to be selling, um, regardless of the, so that, that feels totally justified. Most people I know actually like that in how they think about sales. It's the, it's. In a way, because of the way it's set up, it's yep. pretty much what you have to convince yourself yeah. of if yeah. you're not careful, basically. Yeah. So this is what I mean, that like, this is everywhere. And I, I, un I underestimated a bit of a loud noise. That's just a loud, give it a sec. That's a loud noise. Mike will pick that up. Loud noise, loud noise, loud noise. I can remember the background noise. Okay. 
Um, sorry, that's all right. <laughs> I, I'm not just start to pause. You can convince yourself of anything. And I underestimated the extent to which I was in this. And, uh, cause it comes down to when you talk about Gillage. Yeah. It's like, then how do you know you're not in a cult? That's, exactly. That's, so th this was a problem. We had the idea that we had to build this village, right? Yeah. Like, like what's written in Gillage, right? Had the idea like build a, I don't know if that's going to work. It's, it's theoretical, right? But like, at least give it a shot. Then you have this thing in your mind, like that's a, how much money and whatever will that take to do? Yeah. So now you have a, to just, you have to look at what you're, what I'm doing. I have to look at what I'm doing on the constant student front or whatever. And after like, somehow we need to make a shit ton of money somewhere here mm. so we can build this village. Yes. Yes. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Okay. Now we've got And now just sitting down with people and having intangible, no agenda conversations in which we tend to just get to the heart of things and, that's and, and you feel a sense of thing. Well, that's great. That's not going to get us there. No, no. It's way, way too simple, Joe. So now I can't, I'm in this juggle, this tug of war between what's in the best interest of an individual in this point in time and what's the bigger, the vision, the, you know, the mission, like where we need to go and what's wrong visionaries with take us to a better future and blah, blah, blah. So this creates this huge wall to climb. And which it's, it's circular. Right? I need to justify we're doing all this because we need to make so much money because we're going to build this greater place. Mm. I can't get too caught up in the needs of this non-ambitious person who's not going to help us get there. <laughs> right. Right. Like, it's great. True. Help them just be themselves. But at the end of the day, I've got to focus on the most advanced, I've got to find the most advanced young leaders, change makers in the world because that collective community going to get us to this and that's going to be for the greater good. This is the story. It's so convincing. Yeah. It's logical and bullshit. <laughs> no, what, but... <laughs> <laughs> and, and the truth is, so when you look back at history and this is what I've reflect on a lot these days, and this is where a lot of objections will come in, but Jesus, Buddha, Socrates, Marcus Aurelius. These are people who are talked about today who had no intention, as far as we can tell, I don't presume to know their intent, no intention of starting a new religion. They didn't even write, Muslims didn't even write things down. Marcus Aurelius' meditations was his private reflections How and journaling, right? He had no intention for power. it to be read. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anne Frank's diary is another example of something that was never meant to be read by other people. Her private diary. Where's the education system in that? Did they teach this 13-year-old girl before she went into hiding how to write in a revolutionary way? Did someone give that to her? Or was she just writing of the experiences she was having? Right? How much education about writing has changed in 2000 or something years since Marcus Aurelius was, uh, Jesus never set out to create a religion. He was a reformative Jew. He gathered small groups of people and his message was whenever two or three of you are gathered in my name, I'm there. 
and even if you want to get religious about it, the kingdom of God is within you was always his message. Mm. It was not the church. The church actually, the concept of the church actually came much later. wasn't his idea. He would, he would have dinner. Last supper, 12 people, bread and wine, sharing a meal, talking, having a laugh. Church mm. was introduced way later in mm. Christianity. It's not actually part of the core thing. And it creates this bureaucracy and all that, but they, he didn't seek that because if he had sought it, it would never have worked. Hmm. But we justify our amb ambition in this society. And the, the most dangerous ambition is the ambitions like I had to, to, to change, change the world for the better and trying to shape it. What it really comes down to, and we'll do a Harry Potter series, right, on the podcast, and this is where this idea will be much clearer. It's a lot, as soon as you look at, you're trying to control things, it's the first step. It's the first step to, because control is the first thing you look for. You, no one says, I want, I want heaps of power. No one says, I want to have heaps of influence over everyone. Well, some people do, but they, they say it's peaceful influence. They put this bullshit other word in front of it to hide, to, to uh, distract us from what it really is and distract themselves from what it really is. But as soon as you're seeking control in things, like trying to control the way my partner does this, trying to control, like guarantee I'm going to get this, this number of sales this month or this number of users on my app, um, or this many email subscribers, this many YouTube subscribers. As soon as you like find yourself wanting to control that, you'll find that nature starts slapping your hand and giving you that shit existential flu feeling and frustration and you feel drained and you often feel burnt out and all that. And that and much, much more can be many different forms, but that is because it's the, it's the road to power. And the, how many people have come before and wanted to change the world, right? And control it. And how many of them, are on the wrong side of history and how many of them are hiding on the right side of history? How many of them are celebrated, right? How many of them are quoted, but actually just cause we're on, we're, we're on their side of where the chips fell. Hmm. Right. Hitler is like the ultimate, like history baddie. Right. But I, I question like, yeah, history's written by the winners. Like, I don't know if he's the person who's done the most horrendous things in in history, even recent history. The actions were horrendous. I'm not saying they weren't. <laughs> you're saying Hitler's Are good, you Joe? Queuing, you're, you're saying queuing, Hitler's good, Joe? You're queuing the um, comment section there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. YouTube clickbait. Um, you know who? Who do who? So I think from what we understand about them, I look at like the Mandela's, uh, the Gandhi's, the uh, Martin Luther King's and stuff like that. And the people who uh, didn't fight fire with fire when everyone would have not only encouraged them to do it, but applauded them for doing it. Right. I'm going to, there's a war, so we have to kill the opponent. Right. Uh, Robert Green, obliterate your opponent, blah, blah, blah. There's 48 laws for that 48 sort of stuff, laws. isn't there? <laughs> One of the footnotes on this conversation is 
most of nonfiction literature is, to me, horse crap. But uh, hang on, mate. <laughs> hang on. All yeah, right, we'll I... get to that. We'll get no, to no, that. No, 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 no. At no. the stage I'm at. Just um, calm down, all right? But the, get, stick with those guys. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't, assume, the harder you try to destroy something that you say is bad, the more you just, you transform the same thing, disguise it from yourself and do it in a different way. Mm. Right? So when we get rid of a, you, you cut off the head of one, you cut off the head of, uh, you know, Hydra, the thing that has all the heads. Mm. Taleb uses that as the example of anti. You cut off one head to grow back. That's how we deal with, uh, you know, Gaddafi, Bin Laden, Hitler, blah, blah, blah. Just kill the head of the snake and everything's better. And you're like, you're like look, there's no more Nazi Germany. Success. But then we have the Cold War. And the Treaty of Versailles helped create World War Two. You know, you, you you celebrate for cutting off one head. All you've given is relief. Mm. And that's, I look at the world now as in relief and solving the actual problem. And relief is just like a necessary, but when you think relief is solving the problem, you've, you've made a huge, 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 terrible mistake. Doesn't matter if we're talking about health or if we're talking about politics or war that's, that's the problem when you think relief is solution you've it means that you're blinded from the actual absence right and hydra the many-headed snake or whatever it is you cut off one head to grow back you have to get to the the source where all the heads actually come from and you have to eradicate that so you're caught reacting to what you see and that's what mandela and all that they fought peacefully right yeah and yeah. They let evil collapse on itself. Mm. So it's like, it's, I could see all this contradiction in myself. Um, I was never really like, no one should ever go to uni for any single reason, but it's very easy for this education, all these people doing alternative education to say Uni's a lot, a lot all of bullshit. things. Yeah. Well, uh, they don't necessarily say that because they're a bit too wise to say that, but it's a bit like, don't listen to your parents, but listen to me. Mm. Your parents are just pushing you into what they want you to be. When really you could do so much more if you were an author. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that, yeah. how outrageous does it sound? It sounds so outrageous. It's but these like... are all things I'm guilty of doing. Yeah. These are all things I'm guilty of thinking, even if I didn't say it. And as um, <laughs> there's a lot of people who I think do, a lot of friends who I think do a similar thing in a different way. I'm being vague because I don't want to like throw anyone under the bus. But there's a lot of people I know who are my age and older. And if I explain this to them, they're like, you, you, you're making this too, you, you're exaggerating. Yeah. Right. But I, some of the younger people, this is why I love the constitution. These young people who are not yet attached to a career and need to justify what they've done, you know. Or they can kind of just see it. They see so much more clearly. People mm. outside the bubble. And one, one, who has always been a big inspiration to me, one one young girl, about 19 years old, and she goes, yeah, as soon as you see it in yourself, that's more than enough for you to call it out, even if no one notices. And I, I don't know if anyone even, even did notice. Mm. But so what I'm saying, I'm trying to say is I got attached to constant student. I got attached to uh, even, especially at a point that the podcast and because when it started getting YouTube subscribers and I was checking it like every hour, 
Um, and I was trying to figure out how do we make this, how do I make this huge? And I was analyzing thumbnails and doing all this bullshit and you guys are probably laughing at me because I'm kind of, but what I'm doing at the same time, I'm roping people like you into it. You know what I mean? I'm going, guys, look how we get more downloads and look this work and that. And then you're roping people into the, into the, into the bubble. Mm. Cause you need to justify when you come from ego, you need to justify why you're doing what you're doing. And the, and the main way you justify it is by getting other people to follow a similar script to the one you're writing. Mm. And this is the beauty of a fucking course and stuff like that is when you're trying to give people the answers, what you're doing, there are no answers for complex things, right? Right. Exactly. If we could talk about how to set up this podcast setup so you don't get as much, you know, mic bleed and background noise. That's something you can educate because they, they just want the exact same result we have. Exact same microphones, equipment, result. It doesn't need to be any different. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about how to make a good podcast, <laughs> it's the stupidest thing to try and learn from other people. Because if you can't figure it out by just listening to a few podcasts, but also not just podcasts, but reading books and movies and stuff and understanding what makes a good experience. First problem. Yeah. What's good. Exactly. First problem. What's good. Second problem. Running podcasts versus like, I don't know, self-awareness podcasts versus like business podcasts. Like. Stop at what's good. Exactly. What's good. Like we can endlessly dissect this, but you've said it perfectly. Like good writing. The funniest effing thing about good writing is that the more you're trying to learn what makes good writing, the further you're getting away from good writing. Because the people who write the best and the worst are the people who don't care about good writing. (laughs) These are the people who have an experience and just want to communicate it. So writing literally just comes up as the tool to help them communicate. The ones though who want to be a thought leader, the ones who want to do a TED talk, the ones who want to be revered and show off what they know. Wear red suits. We call them thought leaders. (laughs) (laughs) And of course they're going to pay for education in it because they want the outcome. But the thing is, writing's the tool. Podcasting's the tool for something else. You would never read podcast news, right? Or you and I wouldn't because like, who fucking cares? But people read business news, right? Because it's, that's, that's much more aspirational. And there's much more confusion around that, right? And business is just a tool. And the people who don't look at it as a tool are tools themselves. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I say it's like, it's like being interested in sport. It's like, all right, you love sport. Okay. Most people do. What sport? Like, you know, I don't know. I want a career in sport. It's like tennis, running, swimming. The each are so bloody different. The only things in common are they're physically performed, you know, some are team sports, some are not, some are, it's more about hand-eye coordination. There are some fundamentals, right? Mentality is always important. Sort of discipline is always important, but those things are so fundamental, but also generic that the more you think about it as sport, the less you'd be thinking about those underlying things anyway. Every business is completely different. Every business, a coffee shop versus a Facebook, Amazon, a cleaning company versus like a I don't know, like a computer, you know, software company, right? Telco versus Telco. Telco versus Telco, (laughs) right? It's these these things, there's no, but it's so tempting for people to sell education because it's unclear that you're actually not getting, you're probably not getting value, right? 
you feel like you're getting value in the same way you get relief, right? When you, uh, you feel depressed and you drink like, oh, at least I went out and had fun. Mm. Yeah. Like you feel, oh, this works, <laughs> right? I got value out of it. It's bullshit. Yeah. You're being uneducated. What you're doing is you're entering someone's bubble and you'll never be able to overtake them because mm. they, now they have the answers. So they come, you come to them for more advice, more advice, more advice. No one can tell you like anyone who comes like asking, uh, you know, uh, to me about like writing books or whatever. It's like, why are they coming to me and asking? Cause I realized I never asked anyone and how do I know if it's good or not? There's no, there's no, you know, people, they make films, they've made amazing films and the next one's shit. You know, some people have made great songs, can't write another like hit ever again. Some people like, because no one knows. The creative thing is just, what would you do if no one thought of it as a hit? Because that's, that's really like the only, Robin Williams said, you know, he loved all the films he did, except the ones he kind of did for money. He goes, you know, those ones, cause you just get a feeling and you, <laughs> you get a feeling like, oh, I'm only doing this for the money. And then when everyone's making a film just for the money, how much where does the purity of like the good story come from? Doesn't cause a good story comes from like your experience. And so people trying to learn these things, they just, they don't realize, I don't think they realize they don't really want to do them. Mm. That's when I look at myself when I, I wanted this outcome of, you know, the glory story and the success and all that. And that's, that's when you're doing that, that's when you feel insecure. When you see competitors, that's when you get burnt out more often. That's when you're not really enjoying it. That's when you get existential flu all the time. That's when you're looking for answers. <laughs> you want to control things. So you want, you, you turn everything into linear again, right? Like, how do I get more users? How do I get more community members? How do I get people to, you know, you, you start like what focus groups, like what do people want? Like, yeah, it's not curiosity. It's like demanding. And so we try so fucking hard in life because it's coming from the wrong spot. It's coming from ego. And no, I just, the, as I go deeper into this, I just think that, um, every bubble was essentially just a big, huge ripple out from someone to start with ego. <laughs> I don't know how much of this makes sense. Probably. I don't know Man, how much of this makes sense to other people, but you'll not, uh, you have to really think about it from your own experience. I, I got There's a lot of kickback, of... I'm sure, but every objection I can think of to everything I've said are also things I once thought mm. as like justifying why I was doing what I was doing in the way I was doing it. I came back to writing and I realized that the more organic way is probably better because the, the, the last thought that entered my head, um, before the kind of that last episode and the big conversation was, you know, Paul reached out to me to, to help him with this book, the book I'm doing now. And the message was laughter It's the power of laughter as this accidental millionaire who, uh, started off knocking on doors cause he was desperate, but didn't show it, just tried to be pleasant to people and, and just surrendered, you know, and he goes, being serious never worked for me. 
and uh, the importance of joy. And it was very timely that that was what reached out to me from the world that I wasn't looking for because that's what I needed. Mm. And I realized that how can I, who am I changing the world for? Right? Because if I don't feel joy and I don't feel peaceful while I'm doing it, because I was always looking for like, how do we make ends meet? How do people, when really it was just like, the answer was just so simple. It was like, don't. But I, you never, I never, I could never find that because I was so desperate to figure out. It's like, it doesn't make sense as a business. Who am I doing this for? I'm not feeling joy and peace doing it. It was, it's like a parent going, I'm going to sacrifice my happiness so you can be happy and you can have a better life. As Alan Watts says, all you do is you teach your child to do the same thing you did. People mm. follow what they see, not what they're told. How unkind is that to put pressure on your happiness? You, Luke, right? Because I'm only happy if you're happy, right? If, if all the hard work I did makes you happy, right? I did all this so you could have a podcast and blah, 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 and whatever. And you're like, oh, shit, you know, I've got to live up to that. And that makes it much less likely you're going to enjoy it. So I, I, so I had this conversation with someone who's like, they want to leave the world a better place. And they one of the things they, they think about, I go, yeah, I, I get that. And I used to think that, but if everyone follows my example, say I do it that way and other people follow that example, what you have is a whole people trying to make the world better, sacrificing their own joy, peace, happiness, whatever you want to call it to do that. So if you get every, if you manage to get everyone on board, let's make the world better. You manage to get everyone on board. Who's who's the person that actually has the better experience of life? <laughs> no one. <laughs> thought experiment to do. It's a good thought experiment. Whereas, is where you come back to Gilly, I think. Mm. If I am joyful, so you flip the thought experiment around. If I am feel joy, and if I feel like what Eckhart Tolle would say, inner peace, which is probably the thing to look for more than happiness. Happiness is again like sport and business, big aggregate term, described lots of different experiences. But if you in a inner peace, but then every now and then you get that feeling of joy of like ah. Oh. If I'm doing that, what sort of things will I do? If I come from a place of joy and peace, instead of trying to change the world to make it better. So I'm trying to change the world and make it better. It's like going to Nepal, trying to uh, save poor people. As soon as it looks like I've saved poor people, I'm happy because that's what I'm looking for. I'm just looking to confirm that, tick that box. Now I don't want anyone to in, like upset that story. Same with changing the world. You'll settle for, for relief and call it a solution, right? Really, I'm propagating this. But if you come from a place of you're content with yourself, you don't feel the need to change things. Too simple. Too simple, right? How do you interact with people? Beauty now is I have nothing to sell anyone. So when I talk to them, I'm just like, just talking to them. Mm. And sell not as in just financial, but even like an idea to sell them, mm. which is much less, there's much less awareness about that. Like I'm not, don't need to con you into the way I do things because that's very disrespectful. Even if I think it's better for you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's disrespectful about that? What do you mean? It's better for me. And your family. And your family. <laughs> yeah. 
Got to help my family. Sorry. This is what I mean. You come from a place of that, which is like an actual healthy place where ego's taken out of it. And people can, people just take, absorb that off you. Think about people you know that are always smiling and laughing. What do they do? They just make you feel. <sighs> and then whatever you're actually trying to do, this thing you're striving for, this problem you have, you probably just have the energy to actually solve it. <laughs> Rather than like needing instructions from people on how to do it. I think in my experience at least, when you're in that, when you're, yeah, using inner pieces, the, um, the way to, the compass or whatever, the compass or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah. Those things end up finding you. Yes. And the right things sort of reveal themselves. Yeah. Cause you're not yep. creating and pushing in certain directions and yep. coming up against all this resistance. I've noticed this at least, for example, mum mm. got into running, right? Which yep. is fantastic. Yeah. But of course, when she did, I had all these ideas yep. as to how, you know, I can help her get faster and yep. all these sorts of things. Yep. Missing the point of she's 62 years old yeah. and just wants to get out there and be a bit active. Be, yeah, be a bit active. And I'm yeah. going, all right, we're going to get this garment. And probably participate in something her son is also into. Yes. As a connection with you. Yeah. You know, we're going to get a garment and you got to get this. <laughs> she just goes to me. She's like, I don't want any of it. Get away from me. I don't, shit, Luke. I don't want it. I just want to, you know, uh, I just want to get fitter. That's what yeah. she says. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then I go, yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, she doesn't understand how much faster yeah. she could be if she. Yeah, yeah. Same yeah. thing. It's the business version is, you don't understand how much more money you could make with this tweak. Yeah. You don't understand how much more people you could help with this blah. And then I'm getting all this resistance. Thinking, she obviously doesn't unaware, she, she doesn't, doesn't get, get it. it. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to help her. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm yeah. trying to help you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, anyway, it's a great example because you know? we talked about this, right? As soon as you have a, it's like a, your ego has sensitive areas, right? So it doesn't identify, your ego won't identify with like, um, I don't know, like, uh, what's that? Like maybe public speaking necessarily. Like that. Someone's like, I want to get better at speaking. You're like, all right, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, why? You'd probably just ask why because you'd be curious. If you ask someone who's like a public speaking coach or someone who's sensitive about it or they ask about running to you, that's something you identify identify more with. Mm. So your ego is like, I can work with this. Luke's, Luke's like really proud of himself for his running, mm. right? And what it does, it just like uh, it latches onto whatever it can like any living thing in the room. And so when you have an important realization or breakthrough, ego is so clever, it just comes right in and ruins it by identifying with the new realization. So like someone who's like, oh, I've become so much more aware of myself. The ego's like, fuck, this is a problem. So it goes, I'm just going to identify with, with self-awareness. I'm a guru. And I'm a guru. And like, I'm going to start podcasting. About. And tell, but I'm not going to tell them too hard because that's, that's ego. That's Ego. But the ego just hides it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, the higher Alan Watts, right? The police come on level one, ego goes to level two. Mm. Police come to level two, ego hides. It just keeps going higher and higher. You'll, yeah. never, you'll never catch it. Yeah. You know, you just laugh and it's, listen to your gut. And that's the only places that it just can't open those doors. It's like the spiritual awakening I had when I stopped drinking. Yeah. And then, you know, everyone that drinks is 
Yeah. You know, why would you ever yeah. just hide somewhere else, like yeah. you say? Yeah. And just, and just hide somewhere obviously else. Obviously, I had, then I wanted to, you know, help certain people. Yeah. This is why you shouldn't drink. This is why you shouldn't drink. Yeah. You know, it's changed. But, it's, but that's, it's not, the way, like that's the not the way you stop drinking, is it? No. This is the paradox, right? This is the, the contradiction with education. It's all the same, right? This bubble phenomenon. You escape one bubble, your ego's trying to defend itself, it creates a second bubble. Yeah. That's really confusing because you got this contrast and uh, Nat Eliasson calls it level two thinking. My mate Andrew Reese used to have the same thing. I call it outside the box. There's still that level of without the box, right? There's the box, outside the box, and without the box. If you picture three levels. And if the box is round, it's like a bubble. <laughs> I'm not clashing. This, this, I hope this recipe, these ingredients work together, right? So bear with me. And... Ego's clever to defend itself. Once you've escaped the box, the bubble, it's like, all right, look, look, Luke, contrast. Look at all these idiots still in the bubble. Look, look how better, look how much better you are than them. But <laughs> you never, but all it is, is it keeps you close to that box, outside the box, right? You still need it. If you're going to be outside a box, you need to be near it. Mm. There's still a concept of the box. Otherwise it's outside nothing. And so it just forms a second bubble around the first bubble going, well, you're superior than them. Lead them into your bubble. Yes. Right. No but one... you never ever get there the way you try to guide others. No. My big moments of awakening mainly came from making my own mis mistakes. A big one was Nepal on, on a lot of like the career and the self-awareness level was going to Nepal. Mm. Lecturing people. No one lectured me into it. So if I'm going to try and lecture or push people into it, that contradicts the way I did. Most of the great writers didn't do fucking writing courses, but they're happy to go create them. Hmm. Right? I never, uh, and, and quitting drinking and all these things. You know, my dad doesn't drink, Gilly doesn't drink, but none of them ever said anything to me about drinking. Just mm. let me be. But what they did, which is what I think the big change I tried to make, which a lot of people don't understand this because they don't see it in themselves, is just be but just be the example. Hmm. And what Marcus Aurelius, um, people like Jesus, all that did, they did it by example. There's a big bloody, the difference between telling people to do it and telling people how to do it, but actually doing it is the biggest difference in the world. Mm. Right now, ego can come into things I do like writing, but what, what I can't say, the difference is it's easy for me to write about importance of joy or whatever. It's another thing for me to live what I write. It's, just, it's easy to write it in a book, but do I do that with my team that I still work with for real estate? Am I doing those things or am I just writing like laughing at the people who don't do it? Hmm. Right? This is writing. You, when you come from ego, you're trying to prescribe way more. When you're not coming from ego, you're just sharing stories like you would in conversation. Sharing stories, not pretending to, not extrapolating or this and that and generalizing and all that. And I may have done a bit of that in this conversation, but you're trying to like look at point at fundamentals and you're trying to respect people's ability to think for themselves. As Eckhart Tolle says, don't accept or reject what I say, test it. Hmm. That's the difference between that and here's what to think. Everyone's giving you the wrong thinking. Look what I've got for you. What did I, I was reading recently, DeMello yeah. said, People ask me, how do I become awake or something? Yeah, so, yeah. Well, if I told you, then you wouldn't be awake. No. And if you listen, then you wouldn't yeah. be. 
you wouldn't be awake. No, that, and that's the thing that fascinates me about <laughs> the people who join the community, like the real constant students, like the real people who are embodying that, because they're not looking for anything in particular, mm. but they're just open to it. I didn't go to Nepal looking for uh, more self-awareness. It was, but it was like um, it was like a Shia LaBeouf going to do the acting role. He's like trying to go into the monastery to learn about playing a priest to help his career. But once he's in there, he gets what he really needs, which is like spirituality. Yes. Because if you actually wanted spirituality, the more sophisticated and like intangible the thing is, the less guided your journey should be to get it. Mm. That's the funny thing. Because the more dangerous, because it gets more murky, more dangerous. Spirit, like wanting to be enlightened. If you're too desperate to be enlightened, it's like what I said with saving people. You just settle. As soon as you can tick the box that I'm enlightened. This is the people that think they're saints because they go to church every week, but don't do anything else. And they mistreat people. But it's like, I go to church every week. I can memorize scripture, right? I can memorize. It's like being a parrot. I can say all the words, mm-hmm. but you don't fundamentally grasp them. Yeah. Right. You don't live them. And the funny thing is, if you try and get it completely through church, it's actually probably difficult to get it completely through church because that's not the way Jesus did it. He wasn't trying to create a new church. Mm. He said, the kingdom is within you. And there's a group I've told you about spirituality on the pub. Gilly's a part of. Yeah. And Liam, Tyler and I did, went to one of their calls and it was just, it's just on Zoom. Just questions and talking about like things of importance, right? Like mm-hmm. young people in your journeys with spirituality. We were just sharing our journeys. And I was talking about, this is why I don't find value in, you know, mass. You know, my mum does great. Um, but this is like me. And they said, you know, how would you, how would you fix it? And I just said, you're sitting in it. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't, I didn't make this call. You guys said, this is perfect. Yeah. This is all you need. There's no hierarchy. There's no bureaucracy. There's no money needed or changing hands are involved. For things like that, and it was very constant, it was like one of the constant student calls where it's just a rambling conversation about, the, and everyone feels that inner, oh, nothing in the world doesn't, the problems of the world have just disappeared. Mm. How, where did they go? What? We're just having a conversation. And it was so perfect and so simple. They just, they, even they couldn't see it. They were already participating in it. That's all you need. That's how simple it is. But the problem, like uh, a big thing I see now, which I was a part of is you want to like leverage the internet for this passive income and impact at scale. And, uh, you know, I've got to monetize this value I provide. I don't want to work some stupid, like brick and mortar job where I've got to show up to a building and blah, blah, blah. I want to be able to travel the world. And look, all those things are beautiful. And I love the flexibility of my life, but I do it doing it the MVL way. It's like, what's wrong with that? It's only when your ego is not satisfied. Mm. I know these beautiful people who are agonizing that they can't get their content happening better or they can't sell their course or they can't. And I used to like try to help them. I'm like, well, I'm trying to figure this out. I don't know the answers, but the more I help others, the more I can figure out this course stuff and this digital stuff. But it's just a space where you get some, you feel like you can just less clear offerings. You feel like you can just get money for doing them. Mm. And it puts it in this convoluted little internet place and bubble where people don't want to just jump on. It's boring. 
you know, like staring at a screen all the time and trying to learn, learn, learn for the sake of it and reading too much. It's like fucking give up and live fully now. <laughs> and that's what as we keep, down to. As we keep yelling at each other now. And, uh, but that was the bubble I was in. And that's where the last uh, episode came from was realizing that. It's just live fully. I had these ideas that, you know, it'd be great once I got constituent to this size and I get money from it and now I can do whatever I want and, um, and reward myself for having changed the world a bit or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, I was watching the reunion of friends, the TV show, like, uh, my parents put it on a couple of weeks ago and they had all these, it's just a fucking sitcom, right? Yeah. They had all these people just sending in clips of like how the show changed their lives. Like, I don't know, you know, grain of salt, right? Maybe they just found a way to turn a bit of fans who wanted 15 minutes into a bit of TV. I don't know, but it seemed pretty genuine. Like people who didn't have friends, you know, who watched the show and it lightened their day when they were in dark times. And, uh, Steven Spielberg used to watch Seinfeld after days after filming Schindler's List to help like, you know, take the weight of that sort of film. You know, making yeah. that off him. Yeah. And these are things that like, it's just a TV show. It's not trying to like change the world. It's not trying to like save a million lives. Because if they're trying to do that, they wouldn't do it. A TV show about six friends living in New York City mm. and having a laugh. at. But like, so much of that helps people. But when, you, when your ego is attached to it, you need to measure it. You need the proof. You need to see the glory, but there's no way you can measure actually having the most impact anyway. Mm. That's the bullshit of it. It's linear. It's, I want to see linear impact that I've caused. That's the, the savior's narrative. They need to see it, but if they stop trying to do it, they'd probably be able to do it way better. Mm. DeMello and DeMello says it in awareness. And I'd read the book a bunch of times, but hadn't internalized it. That the real charity is when you've just. Oh, I helped you. That's great. I was just being me. Yeah. You don't even think of it as helping people. Mm. You were just being yourself. And Gilly's thing, just be, you're going to say something? Oh, I was going to, because I'm reading it at the moment. Yeah. He's saying the different levels of um, helping people. Yep. We, he was talking more about self-interest. Yes. Um, yeah, he rips on charity. saying, yeah. if you're giving, be upfront with yourself in saying that you're getting something as well. Yeah. Which is yeah, a very important sort of... It's huge. Gilly says this, and a lot of people say this to me when we, if we chat and they feel yeah. like they've gained a lot from a conversation, and it's like, whoa, watch the ego, Joe. Yeah, watch yeah. Watch the ego. This is, you, they're, giving you, they're giving your ego a bloody opportunity, and you go, this was no... This was better for me than it was for you. Demelo says you... Um, this, this you give something, you get something. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, isn't it great? That's how that works. Yeah. And, um, what I, one, one thing I want to point out with this is I have become very, this is harsh, but I just don't give a shit. I've become very disenfranchised more than ever before with, especially well, social media for one in general, because it's easy to say, well, it's not ideal, but it's. Not that harmful. I threw that argument at you recently. Yeah, yeah, mate. I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, no, no, as in I threw up after watching. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 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 But also like a lot of the business 
world, especially the startup and the tech world. Um, cause I, we have a lot of something Paul Rouse, co-author of the book said to me, he goes, said it so simply, he goes, ego is only in the thinking mind. When you're coming from a place of feeling, like when you feel something's the right thing to do, or you feel like this is what I want to do, but logic, logic is up here. Logic telling you, no, nah, I don't do you can't have ego when you're feeling it's purely a force of the thinking mind. And it's when you're trying to think about how things look mm. like, Oh, but I'll have more money if I do that first, then do impressing friends, family, standing out to peers, you know, then someone might love me. These are all ego things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the more people are in their heads rather than their heart and gut, mm. the more they're operating from ego. And this is in, in business, the ones who often are in positions of influence in business are rational, you know, cool headed thinker, calculator, you know, like, like almost like the, the kind of engineer stereotype, you know what I mean? The calculated, the, the mathematical, the scientific academia is another place where it's very biased towards those. Often it will be males because women are more women on average are more feeling and intuition based. That's why they're so valuable, but so underappreciated in our society. Yeah. Two lads conceding on it. Well, I'm not saying for you, but conceding women are highly undervalued in society or the, the intuitive, of course, that intuitive force really more than women specifically, but they're the ones in business. As Jordan Peterson says, like, why would you want to be a CEO? Mm. Brutal. Right. But, a lot of glory, not necessarily money, but glory, being able to control people, having people, you know, it's like Harry Potter, they, you know, the worst leaders are the people who want to be leaders. Big problem with politics is people who are willing to do it. You know, yeah. like Dumbledore says to Harry, perhaps those who deserve power, those like you who don't seek it, but find by accident, they have to do something and find by accident, they wear it well. Mm. And that's one thing for me, I definitely always sought the, a little bit, at least a little bit being revered. You know, I did leadership positions at school, hmm. you know, lead Nepal, you know, constant, I set up this constant student thing, set up a business, um, put the podcasting all that out there. I, it's part of me, I can still see it, wants that, wants to be on the platform. And there's a good part of it. There can be a good part of it, but there's a... It's the person whose goal is to do a TED talk one day. Mm. So why would that be your goal? Mm. What does that mean? What is it that you want to speak about? And often what they want to speak about is actually of secondary importance, but it, those ones speak about things that are so generic that it's hard to argue with it. It's not very well thought through. That's ego, right? Let's speak about something very generic like purpose or yeah, because it's like, here's a story. Yep. Can we take a break? Let's take a break. Yeah, sorry. I just need a piss. Yeah, me too. <laughs> unsophisticated ego, I'm noticing, <laughs> has like, sorry, more sophisticated compared to like the rest of society, where often the seduction is like uh, fast cars, job title, advanced in the corporate ladder, um, and again, there's no one thing that's bad. Not, it's not bad that people do TED Talks. It's not bad that people get promotions. It just depends on the relationship you have with it, I think, mm -hmm. whether you're actually interested in what you do versus you just want extrinsic external things. 
and money is only one of the external things. But yeah, it's within there's one, like say this thought leader or leadership or changing the world bubble, which is one of the other, let's call them the secondary bubbles, right? <laughs> um, how easy is it, is it to live in society? You don't have to worry about anything, just all these fucking interlinked bubbles. And, uh, the less like you, you, you'll see a lot of people like trying really hard to like, they probably put a lot of content on social media. They probably post on LinkedIn heaps and Twitter heaps, YouTube, right? Um, Instagram and, uh, but the, the, the less good they are, <laughs> the more generic what they talk about is because it's literally like trying to tick a box of doing the, you know, make money from my knowledge, you know, kind of, kind of thing or build a career out of my knowledge and insight and stuff like that. So a lot of them will be very generic because otherwise you would kind of wait till you just like, oh wow, I've learned something that I should share with people. And then you would just share it and often you'd have people inviting you to do it. so nick abraham goes to nepal because there's this community there right and uh then people are like wow you went and did that you experienced that can you come and talk about it and he'd go oh yeah sure um but there's a lot of like the people who really don't have haven't done the haven't even experienced it's not even like something dramatic as nepal it's just a good example but like like someone bring you to speak at your old school because like you're a person who has left the school. You people, young people identify with you, come share some of the experiences. You don't have to be like some world-class intellectual speaker to create a lot of value for people. Mm. But it's so much more interesting when people ask you to share something versus when you're trying to push something and project and be, and be something. There's less pull. It's not as easy. You showed me your sales script the other day. <laughs> Which was literally like for all the sales training that's out there, all the elaborate stuff, this guy's this, you know, um, reasonable professional young man, guru. this guru, guru, sales guru is literally, Hey, would you like to partner? You know, <laughs> like, Hey, congratulations on your recent blah, blah, blah. Interested in partnering, potential partnering. Where's the, where's the, like finding out their deep, dark secrets and triggering that in a message and, you know, elaborate sales scripts. It's, so simple, it seems like you're lying, <laughs> you know. But this is like how much I reckon we overcomplicate things. Much harder for me to speak to other people, though. I'm making observations and I'm sharing them. I could be wide of the mark, mm. probably better if I am because <laughs> the truth is, but also I can see it all in myself mainly. Um, and I think the stereotypes of the, the kind of the thriving CEO or business person is someone who tends to be more, you know, numbers are predictable and I can control the numbers. People are the outliers, you know, uh, people are complex and irrational and they tend to be lower on EQ, right? They tend to be very like a calculator and know their numbers, but they tend to not be as much understand people. And it's very, un unfortunately, very common in life for us to, um, iceberg effect, you see 10% of the surface, mistake it to be the whole, you discard what you can't see, but what we don't see can still be so important. Mm. It's always true. It's what's really going on in someone's life. What's really going on in what's the real nature of the world we live in? Is it just these bloody objects or is there some, what we don't see is normally the most valuable and you can see it. It's just not the most obvious. 
like seeing someone's deeper story and who they really are. But these are the things that tend to be glossed over. So we, we form a world, a material, more material world, easier to interact with. And it's, it seems easier to make that the world. When I say that, what I mean, it's like, it's a world where it's just material, there's possessions and there's survival and you got to make a living and anything that goes towards making a living is therefore practical. Therefore what's not practical is stupid. So if you have a dream that's other than it's, it's, it's stupid. God forbid you have a passion. God forbid you have a passion. Don't follow your passion. No. As some. You don't have the right. As some rational intellectuals would tell us, you uh, know, it's stupid to follow your passion. We got all these overgeneralizations, right? Um, a lot of people put a lot of, a lot of people are trying to do the monetize your passion thing. Opposite. They're trying too hard to make money off their passion. <laughs> you get attached to making money off your passion, ruin your actual passion, which I did with this podcast for a while. You talk about it a little bit with um, the Chiefs podcast. You just get away from like, why can't I just do this thing and enjoy it? Why do I need to look at the numbers and stuff like that? And um, the conclusion I came to when we were talking about this a couple of months ago is we just don't let things ensue enough. I think the career and the ambition stuff is just a huge bubble. I really do. Really controversial for someone who... Uh, it's talked a lot about education and all that to come out with. I think it's bullshit. Like the harder you're trying to, there's nothing wrong, let's say with writing 20 books in 20 years, let's say, right. But if your goal is to write 20 books in 20 years, now you're like, if one book's taking too long to do it right and do a good job, you're thinking, shit, I've got to speed this up because otherwise I'm not going to get this goal I have of 20 books in 20 years. And why, why would you have that goal to begin with? I have so much to say, um, which is like, it's self-arrogant. Like I've got so much people need to know. Um, or I'm so amazing. I can do that. All right? It's like saying I can run in this time or I can just pick any, I'm just using one example. And then what you, what happens is you start compromising either book one or book two or book three. If you're too serious about such a narrow goal. And there's no real good reason why you should focus on that. There's some people who think I'm stupid for talking about numbers. It's like, then do we have no numbers or no targets? It's like, why do we have them to begin with? Then you're like, there's a reason. It's just to give our team the structure, something to aim for. They can't just be sitting around all day. Can't be totally aimless. And it's like, you pick a number out of your ass. <laughs> Does that make it reasonable because you decided and now you're pressuring other people or you're, you're wanting customers or followers or listeners to conform to your story. Mm. Does that make that right? Cause you picked it out of your ass. And if you keep tracing it, there's not many good reasons to insist on something. I mean, what if what you're doing is wrong? Constitution was beautiful, but it doesn't make sense as a business. It would be really flawed if it was. A business. So some things shouldn't work out. That's fine. That's good. You find real things. Um, you simplify your needs. <laughs> you, you have this glory box to tick, but we, uh, we get attached to numbers and they're bullshit. 
if you drill down far enough, they all tend to be bullshit. It doesn't mean that people can't work in marketing and grow companies and podcasts. Here. But honestly, like, the more the less the less I look at um the YouTube subscribers, the more that seem to come in. Mm. I don't post episodes, and I get more. I just don't check. I just don't care, and I learn to um detach from it and it's just hilarious nature's just trying like whatever you just it's trying to teach you see how stupid you are just surrender just do good work don't hide it share it and let things ensue i just found that it's just, it's just so common like the harder we try to make things good like there's a sweet spot right which is I'm not going to make the podcast shit deliberately, right? I'm not going to make my writing or book shit deliberately. But if I'm obsessed with some version of success, because it's supposedly helping people, all I'm doing is I'm heading away from creativity. Mm. I'm, do, I'm, I'm thinking in more linear ways where anything creative is non-linear. Business, art, these things are non-linear. There's no formula for the writing. The, the writing comes from surrender and revisions and drive. It's, it's not having it, not obsessing over its perfection at the start, but just sitting with it until it's ready. And that's how I write now. There's no, no more weekly newsletter, no more daily podcast episodes. There's no cadence, no commitment. I'll record, we'll record series for this and put them up when I think they're ready. You're hassling me because the one we, we did on failure is still not it's up. Bloody- Recording, uh, yeah, yeah, recording. And, sorry, and I'm, I'm editing making, snail over here. Yeah, yeah, and and because I'm trying, you know, in, I, uh, I just won't make the trade-offs I used to make. Hmm. Even when I'm pestering you. Even when you're pestering me, I just don't care. I don't even know. I'm. I don't even know why I'm pestering you in the first place. Uh, it's funny. It's quite. Funny. <laughs> it is funny. So you know, mate. Um, but I just away. have surrendered to when it's ready. Um, when I and half the time when I can be bothered to do it, it'll be it'll be up. And it's so funny, the more you obsess over, like, I have to have an episode this week, the more you're scraping the barrel looking for your fucking episode. Yeah. And how's that quality? Like, how's that the best? But in the content creator religion, it's, you have to be consistent to, you know? Do we? Do you? I don't know. What did we do before we had social media and internet and email newsletters and people wrote one book that was their top book. Like that was continually participating in the process is great. Right. Like continually writing and I having ideas and all that, but then the less I commit to like cadence and, uh, it has to be weekly and who likes email newsletters. Once you leave the bubble, just you see that there's just so much, um, Information overload. There's nothing you need, but it. you want a lot of information when you're trying to control outcomes. Mm. Self-help when you don't feel like enough as a person. Uh, even some philosophy we talked about before. Digital marketing is, you, you digest a lot more digital marketing material when, especially when you're pushing like a shitty product out on people. Um, when you're pushing something you haven't validated. When you're pushing something that's offerings unclear. And when you're overcomplicating it, uh, sales stuff, when it's, you need more sales literature, the less you believe in what you're doing and the more you're trying to control it. 
Yeah. The more you're trying to control it. Whereas if you just have conversations with people um, and focus on serving them, a lot of people just, if you have something decent, it doesn't have to be revolutionary, it'll just attract people because you're, no one likes being sold at, but we can't remember that when ego takes over because you think, I need to make a living. I need to clear some stock. I need job security. I need bonuses. I need whatever. And you just get hooked on dopamine. And, and so much of, uh, so much of our information is bullshit. None, none of the, none of the, like there's few, if any of the respected thought leaders that I kind of find valuable to listen to right now. And I've, you know, you, Luke knows that I've reread Harry Potter, couldn't put it down. Such beautiful writing. And I found so much wisdom in that. It's better than most of the nonfiction books I was reading. And it's up there in the leagues of the, you know, the, the DeMello and the Eckhart Tolle for me. Mm. And, uh, it is just such a better way of doing it. Like, why can't we entertain people? Why can't we make them laugh? But the more serious you take yourself, the less you focus on making people laugh and entertaining them and packaging up stories in that. But stories and humor get through to everyone. They get through to, uh, you know, my brother Mitchell the least ambitious person you'll ever meet. He's not going to read a serious book, but he he loves Harry Potter. Mm. He watches anime. He loves The Office. You know, he watch sitcoms. But you can bet you can put lessons in those things, and it's entertaining and it's fun, and and the lessons are there in a very passive way, so you can take them away when you're ready. But the thought leadership bubble is just so much about look how much I know, mm. and how can I make bank sharing that with you often in a way that as Taleb would say, is, doesn't have much skin in the game. You're often not very accountable to that knowledge. I have a friend who works in um, the culture team at a big four um, accounting company in Melbourne and we're caught up for her when I was caught up with her when I was in Melbourne. She's talking about her experiences. She says, you know, all the research we get about how to make the workplace better and all that doesn't really work when we implement it. When we just involve people in decisions, <laughs> irrespective of research, like this is what we want to do next. And the, they feel, so, they feel valued and they tend to be happy and the outcomes we get are better. We're so conditioned to look for answers in the last place we ever expect to find them, our intuition and gut. Mm. And most of the information you're bombarded with is useless. Whereas if people would just share their and look, I'm still publishing stuff. I'm still writing. I don't know if I'm trying to justify it, but I do think that you just share stories and your experiences. Stop trying to extrapolate and find statistics and studies and aggregate macro bullshit, as Taleb calls it. If we just share experiences or what we observe ourselves, I think it's so much more valuable. Mm. And it's nothing you wouldn't do if you were just having a proper conversation with a, with a friend. When we're in the bubble, we're trying to, you know, it's ego, right? I want to come back to this. It's ego, ego, ego driving most things. We're talking, we've talked about many of these things over the last couple of months. It's interesting for people to think about it, right? Yeah. Sorry. Comfy? <laughs> this table does my head in sometimes. That's all right. It's moving. Use the back of my that chair. Was a big, big interruption. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this loser. 
we think about society, and I think if you want to look at any anything you term a social problem, mental health, homelessness, uh, lack of financial well-being or poor financial literacy, education, inflation of education, politics, any political problem, uh, you know, like job security, job satisfaction, um, uh, we just keep going, health, it's really hard not to find ego at the core of any of those problems, like way, way down. Troubles with the culture at work, uh, difficult boss, people who are overreactive, romantic relationships, why people attack us, why they change after we move in with them or get married. Um, it's at the core of it all for me. And, uh, when you're in a, when you're in a bubble, you want to control things. And that's, that's the ego's voice. The ego wants to be in control because it wants the story to go its way. And it's just your, it's just like a personalized writer that lives in your brain. But I really think that the ultimate thing is there's a, a senior writer who writes the whole thing. And that is a story where everyone actually flourishes and wins. And that story is transmitted through you in your gut. My, my, I think is the main place. Mm. And that's why when you listen to your gut, ahead of all the bullshit, things, things go well. But there's a, you know, talked about the Huberman idea that, uh, well, not his idea, but like that finding that so many tasks are linear tasks, right? And they, dopamine is the main neurochemical that is flying when we do that stuff, right? Like math equations, um, you know, planning to-do lists, right? So it, most people can relate to just having a to-do list. You tick something off and it's like a shot of heroin, <laughs> right? And what that really is, is linear tasks where it's, you repeat the same process, get the same outcome, repetitive, mm. totally controlled. Whereas a lot of the creativity comes out of non-linear thinking, and the neurochemicals that are much more common are things like serotonin and stuff, like much more deeper feeling sensations they're associated with. And I'm not a scientist, but I know that from my experience of writing podcasting, it's often the unplanned, the uncontrolled, the Goldilocks zone in the middle, the free, letting it flow through you. And when you're doing new, new things and creating very independent things, that's the force. But you feed the linear thinking mind and the dopamine pleasure treadmill, I used to uh, call it in the podcast previously, the less creatively you can actually think, the less creative you can actually be. And that's a big problem because now you've lost awareness. Your awareness shrinks to the size of the room, the life situation you're in, and you revert stages in your bloody uh, evolution. You revert back to your basic conditioning. And you're like more animal primal instincts, like you're more Astro the dog stuff. And that's what leads us to be such often toxic people, especially some of the nicest people in certain situations like travel, work and family life. Some of the people that might be most loved in society can be most brutal behind the scenes because it's lurking in you and it's just mainly dormant as Eckhart Tolle says. Mm. And, uh, 
this is the real problem. You can't value intangibles. One thing I noticed very common amongst all the first concert students is their ability to understand things that were less tangible and appreciate them. What's, what's that mean? Like family often has intangible value. Friendship might have intangible value, right? Relationships, the sort of investments where you don't get to control the outcome, where you actually surrender and it's just something beautiful, like going for a walk. It's so funny that so often we're just caught up in a, like a trying to figure out something with work or can't get through our day and we can't get to all the things on the to-do list. We become attached to the bloody to-do list because we write it down. And then once we read it down, your mind's like, I'm attached to this. I'm going to get this done today. Otherwise I'm not good enough. Mm. So suddenly you've given yourself something to identify with. And that then blocks the intangible value of if I just went for a walk, I'd feel 10 times better. If I just took a nap right now, I would feel better. But if you take your nap, you're a lazy shit. <laughs> so I'm struggling with if that. you restore your energy, you're a dumbass. You're useless. And so this is what stopped, this is what I found with constant student. I knew the whole time there's so very valuable things I could be doing and things that make me feel better and all that. But you can't get away from, I'm trying to, it's just like a imbalancing your brain. You can feel that's pushing your like, but I got to nail this thing. I can't let it go. And it's because you're linear. Linear is like very sh tiny awareness. Dot of, you've got about a dot of awareness and you're trying to control stuff. And that urge is actually ego has taken the joystick. Mm. So burnout is now this thing that doesn't seem like this trivial, like, oh damn, got burnt out. It's like you just couldn't handle it. Burnout is like this really serious thing, which is a consequence of a lot of achievement addicts in society, which is a very normalized addiction. You say someone's a workaholic, doesn't sound nearly as bad as being an alcoholic, right? It's like, oh, well, at least you're obsessed with work. That's good. You work well, at least. But it's a pathway to like losing track and becoming very power hungry. Because you're, this is what I did. I was just, dopamine's that more neurochemical. And that's a very ego-based voice. More, more. Everyone's trying to grow their companies. Why? Why grow? Huge companies still trying to grow. Why? Economic justification for it. Shareholders. Won't please shareholders. We need a, can't sustain a company unless we're growing. Why? Why are you trying to grow? What are you doing? Inevitably, it's going to bring all this stress and headache. Need a challenge. Why do you need a challenge? Why do you need a challenge? Yeah, variety and new things are great. And it's like a variety mixes things up. Why are we default to growthful? Why does everyone identify so much with their achievements? It's at the heart of a backwards society. And it just takes you out of awareness. Like it, it, it really shrinked my awareness down so much doing that many things. Like a, a newsletter every week, a podcast episode, trying to write blog posts, constant student workshops, planning the future of the thing, trying to organize this, trying to organize that. Literally just, it's like working out 24-7 as an athlete, a better example. You just, you just work yourself out. Then you're going to get sick. Right? And then you get injured because you're trying too hard. And you're just training. There's no rest. There's no balance. 
but the instead of getting maybe like a, sometimes you get physical illness when you overwork yourself, but also you get the existential kind of illness. And that to me, I noticed was a very subtle, but real risk factor. And it's very common in a society that tells you to hustle, you know, work your job, but then hustle on the side and build up over time, the side hustle. So you can quit the nine to five and live your dreams and live on a beach and have your laptop out and all that bullshit. And, uh, why? That's what it comes back to. Why? So I don't know, like, do we accept that the things we do are not that important? Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for putting up with this very disjointed episode. This is almost like a part three. I got interrupted when we're recording with Luke. So I thought I'd finish the way, this the way I began it, which was solo. And maybe do, um, to kind of simplify this a bit, there's a very rambly, raw episode. It's hard to put this stuff... I'm just going to consolidate this a bit in a story. I remember I was sitting with Gilly once for coffee. Um, I started doing the writing and started sharing it with people. And uh, he said, Joe, how many, how many people do you expect to read this? Or do you need to read this for this to be successful, to meet your criteria? And I said, probably not many, Gilly. Uh, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I, have a, I have a feeling and I have a faith that it will have a widespread usage, but it doesn't really, and he goes, yeah, I think you're right. He goes, Joe, do you know what one of my favorite numbers is? I said, no, Gilly. And he said, 12. 12 as in, uh, if you haven't picked it up, the 12 apostles. Um, so I guess when a bloke who was around about 2000 years ago, uh, set out on his journey, uh, he wasn't even a writer and he, uh, didn't actually try to bring large crowds together. He didn't demand everyone listen or obey what he said. He focused on getting a small group of people together first. And he kept things pretty simple. And he told a lot of stories. And he tried to simplify things for people. And his message was, and just get ready. It's where the cringe comes in, guys. I'm warning you. His message was about love. The ego creates a set of frames through which we look out in the world that don't reflect much of the reality of the world. Hard as it is to kind of say, this is the reality of the world, everyone. It's almost impossible to say. But the extent to which ego is creating that, shaping that outlook, is the extent to which it's confused and blurred. And this is why we have what we call crazy people or crazy behavior in so-called uncrazy people romantic partners, parents, children, someone who cuts you off on the road, uh, and you just cannot, they just will not listen to reason. It's the voice of ego. It's my reflection. So usually what's unclear is part of working through that. So it was a, it was a big U dip. You know, it's kind of a journey I had to go through personally to learn a lot of invaluable things. So there's certainly no regrets, but yeah, I was pushing in a lot of ways I'm not proud of. And there was a, a high level, as I, I probably already said this too, there was a high level of uh, maybe manipulating people is harsh. I don't want to be too dramatic. Definitely trying to push them within a certain number of cookie cutters we had. 
or, or looking for certain people um, to fit in to certain roles. And uh, honestly, the, 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 the experience of the conscious student community is the opportunity of a lifetime for me to become relevant in a non-trivial way in so many incredible people's lives, such a range of people. Here am I trying to figure out how to make a business out of this thing and pushing and, and getting frustrated and overworked and trying too hard, then putting pressure on my, my podcast and getting very attached and getting very tactical and trying to get people to click more on the podcast. And I just started all these things to bribe people into supporting my work. But my work was always meant to be for others. That was all, that was the idea. You gotta laugh at this. You got you gotta see the funny side. Um and I share it because it's true. Uh I share it because I think it's pretty transparent. I share it because there's nothing really to hide. And I share it because I suspect it's not right for me to assume and judge, but I suspect or I sort of see there's this quote there's something a community member said to me, it's you can't understand in others what you can't first understand in yourself. And I must say, now I just see this uh, in so many people. I don't know if it's me projecting onto them or not. It's a big horn, if you can hear that. Some ship's taken off from Sydney Harbour. Here where the sun's setting on a beautiful Saturday evening. Um, and that's just it. That was one of the things I wasn't able to see anymore. Trying too hard to make things better. So harder to see the beauty in what's around us. And how can you be making things better for people? How can you be serving people if you can't see the beauty in the world? What are you helping move them towards? How can you do it if you're not coming from a place of peace? If you're coming from a place of neediness and you're getting burnt out and you're getting frustrated and you're getting what I call the old existential flu, that feeling where you just kind of, where you feel fuzzy, and you, uh, you feel like everything sucks and there's no joy in life anymore. And I also think like, how do we, how do we do anything really well or what's worth doing that doesn't come from a place of uh, love and is not done in a loving way? It's so easy to start that way and then lose it. So those are all some of the things, those are a lot of the things that I... <sighs> I lost. I missed that life where the main thing I did was just writing and talking to people, which was where I had been two years prior, thinking it was too simple that I wasn't doing enough for other people in the world. So that's where I ended up. And through all that hard work, just end up where I began and realized that so much of it had been ego. And uh, a glory story that I was trying to write, using other people as pawns and actors in that. And I don't know if I ever, uh, you know, hurt anyone more than I helped. Not sure, maybe not. But without the realization of this, I'm very confident, much more sure that it was definitely headed that way, to say the least. And life is just, but anyway, since the kind of little bit of a epiphany that it's just crazy as it is, that maybe what brings you a lot of joy 
is a really good compass and signal what to follow and focus on. It's just stupidly simple. It's so stupidly simple. It's so obvious that it remains hidden. It's the needle in the haystack. But life is just so good. I've had few, if any, really bad days. I, f I feel more productive than ever because I don't waste time trying to make all these impossible decisions about unclean things, trying to force together things that don't... Well, like you trust ease, as my friend uh, Athena says. Like, trust ease. Like, sometimes there's so much value. You maybe don't have to push so hard. Maybe, like, when we're trying so hard and things are so difficult, it's because we're trying to push something that's not meant to happen. It just doesn't fit as well in our lives and other people's lives. But so often you feel like, oh, I need to have a book because this is the sort of person I decided I was going to be. I need to have a business because this is the sort of person I, do, I decided I was going to be. I need to have a, I need to have a property because this is the person I decided I was going to be. I need to have this much money. I need to have this many friends. I need to look this way because this is the sort of person I decided I was going to be. This is how my ego tricked me into trying to chase the wrong things. Things I can have anyway, but probably would come much healthier if I surrendered and lived fully now, if, if I didn't put things, the, the most important things to me off. Um, it's a very difficult idea. It's not something I would have ever intellectualized my way into. I had to make the mistakes myself and learn it. And then when it hit me on the head, I just felt like everyone gives you, everyone gives you advice because they want you to do what they want you to do. Normally, because they're not doing what they want to do. And to validate their story, they're trying to get you to act a certain way. And that's bullshit. That's how you know someone, whoever it is, doesn't have your best interests at heart. When they're trying to get you really hard to do something. Yeah, so I don't give advice anymore. Because if someone's really stuck on something, they probably need to figure it out for themselves. Maybe they're pushing too hard. And it's not that I, I would abandon someone like that. They probably just need support going through it. But I don't pretend to have the answers. Because I feel like most things should just ensue. Everyone's got their big goals and their plans and their visions and their missions. And I did it all. I did it all. Yada, yada. It's tiring, exhausting. It's not the real world. That's not life. I was in Nepal, had people work for two years and realized they had enough for the rest of the Yeah, that's in rural Nepal. What are we doing here? Ambition. We've normalized ambition. It's hard to draw a line through that word ambition. Maybe I have the ambition to go out and get coffee. Maybe I have the ambition to be a better man or a, or a fairer boss or something. So those ambitions are fine. But that this this social ambition of like more and become someone in society, but but appear to be a nice person while doing it, um, and have the facade and don't tell yourself you're you're just you're kind of like a power hungry control freak, Joe. Don't 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 tell yourself that, but be ambitious, and everyone loves a bit of ambition. Where's your ambition? We always say to people who don't want to distract themselves from reality. What are we complaining about? We always have this door we can open anytime where we can just simplify the shit out of it 
but the lack of awareness we have blocks that door from our visual field. That's pretty much all that's going on. Is that all that's going on? Am I crazy? It's, it feels like a bubble. It's that movie, The Truman Show, where everyone's in on the act. And they don't know any better. They're just, they're actors in this, some eggheads scheme. And they're just running around, uh, you know, trying to get you to stand there for the advertisement and all that. This, this is the movie, if no one knows what I'm talking about. The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. And he's trying to get out of the bubble. He, he's realizing this is not how it's meant to be. And it's too perfect. And there's no adventure. And there's no peace to it. Because it's all scripted. And it's not his script. And it's a choice. That, that movie sums up all, the awareness journey. You're not born with free will. You walked into free will. Because if you were forced to have free will, it would be a burden. But the fact that you can choose it and go through the friction of earning it and live that way, that's probably the worthwhile ambition. For some people, it might be living off the land in an island in Fiji. For other people, it might be running a huge tech company. There's no one thing that's bad. It's just the bad thing is the thing that's not us. That's not you. You've got to claw your way out because they want you to play their game. If they don't like who they are, they, they want you to play their game. The ones that love themselves can love you because they just let you be. Just be. As Gilly says, just be. Is this me just being? No. Why am I going to do it? I could be dead tomorrow. I could be dead next year. I could lose someone. Why am I going to waste time pushing shit uphill? Change the world. You know... That had me, that had me, that story, changing the world. The reason for our pain is that sensitivity. So a lot of the people we say, like a, a Michael Jackson figure, who's easy to criticize. But if you look at Michael Jackson, his songs weren't all, weren't all about, come on, come on, honey, come back. I miss you so much. A lot of his songs are about making the world better. And I went back to one that really struck me when, I remember when he died, I was 15 and they, you know, his songs are obviously everywhere again. And Man in the Mirror, I'd never heard it. But the, the lyrics of that strike me so much. I'm, you know, what is it? I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm going to ask him to change his ways. No message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, just, you've got to look at yourself and make that change. And that's just like, I love that song. I used to sing it, but I couldn't internalize the words until really now, I think. Maybe in 15 years, they'll have another meaning to me. But how can I ask the world to be something if I don't exemplify it? Look in the mirror and make the, it. Just, it's just a change with me. And then it's a system of faith. Because we don't control things. If we controlled things, we'd be stepping into the realm of God. And which is as maniacal as it is to say, as it is to try and do. So that's not an option. Joe, egomaniac. It just starts with being it. So I kind of am working on this recovering from this achievement addiction, needing glory, this inner desire never really aired to be big, this deep down in superiority com complex I have. Um, and I'm just trying to, I think things like podcasting and writing still have their place. 
as long as I enjoy them. Don't flog them to death. And, uh, but that is something I just want to share before we get into our next series of the podcast and the myth of failure idea and things beyond that. Um, I don't know, this might have been a total ramble, totally unnecessary and unhelpful, but, and I don't think anyone, if there is truth in this, it'll probably not sink in maybe until you listen, maybe listen to it once now, maybe listen to it again years later and you're like, ah, that's, that's what that was about. I don't know. That's how I feel when I read a lot of stuff that's valuable. I always encourage people to reach out. There should be a link in the description. Normally I just tell people to apply to the constant student because well, there's much to apply to, but it tells me a bit about you and that's a good trigger for a conversation if it works out. If not, it's not be attached, but it's getting pretty dark here. So I'm going to let you guys go, but thank you. Thank you for hearing me out air my craziness and confessions. Remember, as always, the best way to open thousand doors for you is to concentrate on opening doors for others. Just be and live fully now.